Well, there you go. This is a new year, and uh, I talk about being disciples of Jesus to build generational transformation of disciples of Jesus. There's a reason for that, which is what God called us to do, right? That's the one main thing that we want to do. And he also called us here in Estes Park. You're here on purpose uh, and called us together as the people of God. We're going to saturate the valley with the gospel of, of Jesus. That means everybody in Estes knows who Jesus is, what he's done for them, and how to receive him in a church that they can grow into. And part of doing that means that the whole body has got to be working as a body, right? We've got to do our part in order for that to happen. And that's what this Shape Seminar is. I know that we're, this one is today. We've been announcing it for, oh, a couple months. And, and so if you hadn't had a chance to, you're not too late. You can actually just go there today. You can write yes on your connection card. Or the, uh, but you can also uh, just show up. That would be good, too. If this is too soon for you, I want to encourage you. I'm just, I just One of the reasons I want to show this video today is to let you know we're going to be having other ones of these throughout the year. And if you're interested in taking the, the Say Yes uh, seminar, write that down as well. And we'll make sure that we let you know the next time when we're doing this because it is really important uh, that we are not just serving, that we're serving in the areas that God has designed us to serve, doing the good works he's prepared for us in advance. So, so there's that. And of course, the best way to sign up for that is on your connection card, which reminds me, if you haven't filled out your connection card, this is a great time to do that. Uh, one great way for me to be able to pray for you and all that. And, and so that's that green card. And if you're a guest here today, special welcome to you. We encourage you to even to fill out whatever you feel comfortable filling out. You can drop that in the offering basket along with everyone else. But one of the benefits of doing this is that you get prayed for this week. And that's a great thing so that we know as a staff and as a church and our prayer team how to pray for you. So, of course, on the back side, there's a place that you can write that, uh, your prayer requests. As you're doing that and you're thinking about, hey, we're going to start this new year, uh, one of the things, think about how am I serving the Lord? Uh, that's a big thing. Pastor Jesse last week, I think, did a great job starting our series in Psalms off, uh, talking about one of the first things we need to do is have a love for God's Word and make that a part of us. And one of the things that he encouraged us to do is make that commitment to be able to start reading God's Word. And I think a lot of us made some good commitments on that, but also being the beginning of the year, a lot of times I hear that there's um, these things, resolutions, I don't know if you still do those or not, uh, uh, that uh, beginning of the year there's kind of this idea, there's a fresh start, we're going to start putting together new things into my life that I want to have in there. And uh, I, I think resolutions are great. Unfortunately, the reality is about six weeks in, most resolutions fail. And there's a reason for that. And I think oftentimes it's because resolutions begin just with this. It's a resolution that says, I, I know where I, I, what I want to be, what I want the world to look like, and so I'm going to resolve to doing my part to, to making that in there. But, but resolutions that really work, I think, have to start first with revelation. And revelation is not what do I want the world to be, but it's a revelation as to what actually is. Uh, and instead of saying to God, this is who I, I want to be, maybe that God didn't design you to be that way. The, the first thing we need to do is look at who we really are, we, who God really is. What is the really the important things in this world? And then we resolve to become who we truly are. Do you know that in the kingdom of God, you're going to be glorified? Like the best version of you has yet to be made known. And so real, true resolutions that take us a step towards the right direction is not resolving to become who I want to be, but who God has already revealed I am inevitably becoming as his child. And so to begin with, we need to start, I believe, with true revelation, and that's really with, uh, I think the scripture gives us that. 
including today's uh, passage that we're going to be going through. Of course, as we begin with that, uh, Psalm 105, what a, this is our anchor verse for our series. We're going to end, actually, this is the last verse for the last psalm in the series that we'll be covering. But I think it really summarizes really the heart behind of the psalms as well as what we'll be really hitting on over and over and over again in Scripture is that for the Lord is good, His love endures forever, His faithfulness continues through all generations. And so if you wouldn't mind, let's just say it together. It's important that we get God's Word into us, and then you're going to see how this is true as we go through Psalm 8. So here we go, one, two, three. For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations, Psalm 105. Isn't that amazing that God is good? That God loves you, and He hasn't given up on us, not even here in 2024, his faithfulness continues today. If you have your Bible, we're going to talk about really what that looks like as Scripture. As it, so Psalm 8 is where we're going to be. Uh, if you have your Bibles, how you find Psalms is super easy. They're the best book in the Bible to find because you just open up midway through, just and you're going to be in Psalms. And you just turn back to 8. There you go. Super easy. Now, understanding Psalms, it, it's... Uh, it's a genre. Psalms mean songs. So it's why we wanted to do this at the beginning of the year, because we want to sing a new song to the Lord. We want to begin this new year off with praise, right? And so Psalms are, they're the, the, the hit songs throughout all time. They were co-inspired by the Holy Spirit, but we have to understand that these are musical lyrics. In fact, in your Bible, if you turn to Psalm 8, you're going to notice at the very beginning there's some instructions there. It's for the director of music. There's a word, reason for that. This is a song. And it tells us the kind of style this is supposed to be. In the form of giddif, which means a wine press, which we don't know what that means. <laughs> Nobody knows. Like, it, it means that there was some type of style. Maybe they sung it around a wine press. I have no idea. Maybe it sounded like a wine press, like... <laughs> I have no idea. However it was, there was a style. There was a worship style that came to this. There's, a, there's something emotive in music. And part of us to really gain all of what it has to say, I think you have to understand that this is supposed to speak to our souls, not just our heads. That's what a psalm is when you read the psalms. You're not just reading a, a book of law. This is not just a, a narrative, a story of what has happened. We're reading the heart, the spirit of, of whatever the, 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 the artist is, is portraying. And if these psalms don't speak to your soul, you're missing out. Now, we've lost the, the beats that went to this. Probably good. I don't know if you've listened to Middle Eastern music, but I don't like it, right? <laughs> but here's the deal. Like, there is something in this. You could put this into your own tune if you need to, but there's something in these psalms, all of them, that need to speak to our heart. And this particular psalm, has a couple of things, themes that we see, and there's some psalms that, that uh, it works into, and one of them, this is a nature psalm. This is one of those psalms in which the, the artist looks at nature and sees how God designed nature and says, is so moved by that, that it, it says that there are some deep realities from what we can observe in nature that speak to us on a real heart level as to who God is and how great he is. Other psalms that do that, Psalm 19, Psalm 29, Psalm 65, Psalm 104, these are psalms that look at nature and are inspired 
to, to follow after God and to see his attributes. And people who live in Estes Park, we can understand that, don't we? That have you ever woken up, you go outside, you're, you know, you just have your regular morning and things are all busy and all that, and you step outside and you're just like, wow. Because if you've lost that, then you need to regain it this year. Because nature screams the glory of God. And God put us in one of the places that he screams the loudest. And so this psalm speaks to that. It draws us back to saying God is not just the God of the imaginary, not just the God of the invisible, but God is the God who has revealed himself and by what he has made, and he is magnificent. This is also a psalm that's known as a messianic psalm, which means that there are portions in this psalm that point ahead to who the Messiah would be and what his nature is and are quoted later on in the New Testament by Jesus and others in the New Testament, Hebrews, that talk about this psalm actually describes Jesus really well. And to let us give an idea of this God whom we worship. And so when we go into this, this psalm, we want to make sure that we're not just looking at the words and debating like just the words that are used. Think about most songs. Like uh, there was a song that came out when I was uh, much, all of us were much younger. Some of you weren't even born, but it's like, okay. So there ain't no sunshine when she's gone, right? It does not mean, when you listen to that, like sometimes this lady leaves the house and the sun disappears, like, it's gone. It means it's just, like, just darkness. It means it's depression, right? It's sad. And so you're going to read this psalm and there's going to be figurative language. It doesn't just mean, the figurative language points to something even greater, right? A much deeper truth. So let this speak to you. So the heart of the psalm is this. If, if you want to summarize all of it, 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 right, it gets this, that God is amazing. That's what we're supposed to get from this psalm. It, it's just the awesomeness of God. God is amazing, and yet he loves us. And to sit in amazement and wonder at that very fact, and then coming about, why does God love us? Because he is amazing. It's a beautiful psalm. It's It's, it's gorgeous. And this powerful revelation that we find in this psalm, I think, can give us a new resolve, a better resolve, to actually live towards what God has really created us to be. And these are the types of resolutions that change us, change our lives, and have the effect of actually changing our community and the world, helping us do the good works God's prepared in advance. So with that, let's look at the beginning of it, Psalm 8, verse 1, it says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. What a great introduction. In fact, we have songs that have been written based on this. Like, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. You know, right? It's supposed to be, it's upbeat. It's amazing. I imagine the wine press one was an upbeat kind of, maybe they're workers, you know. That's this song. Like, God is good. And hidden from our language, it's something actually even deeper. When it says Lord, you know there's different words in, in, the, in Hebrew that talk about what is Lord, right? And so this one uses two. The first one, Lord, it's all capital. That, that's the Bible's way of telling you that this is a word, Yahweh. This is the name of God. It's not just any old God. This is 
the God, the one who showed up to, to Abraham and to Isaac, the one who was there at creation. This is the one that met with Moses. This is the one that he's like, who shall we say something? He says, I am that I am. This is that God, a very specific, unique God, the God of Israel, Yahweh. And he points them out, not just any old God, God, Yahweh, our Adonai. And Adonai means our boss, our prince, our, our Lord, our master. And he begins with this, that Yahweh is our master. And that's why we have praise. But here's the cool thing, is he doesn't just say this is just Yahweh is a tribal God. He's not just the God of the Israelites. How majestic is your name in all the earth? From the very beginning, even here as David pens this, is an acknowledgement that God is the God of all. And he's not confined to a little slice of land or a, or a tiny group of people, that he is God of all creation. And his name is, get this, majestic. And majestic means that he has royal glory. That God is not just like anything. He sits above all things, and he has authority over all things. And his name carries power. Where? Earth and beyond. And verse 2, what he says here, even in the heavens, right? Beyond that. Verse 2, he goes on to say, Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. I love that. I mean, this really speaks to this, that, that God is, is the God of the big, right? He's God over even the heavens. And now we can look out into the vastness of space with all of our cool telescopes, and we can look to the very edge of the universe, and even then we, we recognize how tiny humans are, and God is the God over all of that, spoken to existence. But he's not just the God of the big, he's also the God of the small, over the children, even over the infants. And it says here that based upon who he is, everything about him is powerful, even his praise. And I think there's a reason he points out that even the praise of children and infants is more powerful than the kingdom of Satan. And I think the first one is that God shows that he's so powerful, even in his weakest form, even the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of his most powerful enemies proven most astoundingly in the cross. Jesus defeated the kingdom of darkness, the, the weight of sin, all of the wickedness of everything in all of the world, all of the bad is everything by dying. That's pretty weak. The weakest he could possibly be he easily decimated his enemies. If God can do that in his weakness, can you imagine what he can do in his strength? See, even the praise of children is more powerful than the strongholds of Satan himself. Don't believe me? Try this. There are people that are still enemies of God even today. Do you know that? They hate God, his kingdom. Do everything they can to try to teach people to walk away from God, to work against Him. They'll torture Christians. They'll shame us. They'll use all kinds of things. And you know what you can do to drive them nuts? Is say, Lord, be praised. My God is good. My God is majestic. 
And especially when a child does that, they lose their minds. It's a stronghold. It's a powerful thing because the devil's going to come after you. And he's going to come after you this year, I guarantee it, especially if with us because we're, we're assaulting the kingdom of darkness. That's what this church is doing. We're saturating the valley with the gospel of Jesus. I will tell you, the devil's not happy with us. Good. But here's the thing. This is a church filled with praise, and he's going to do whatever he wants. But here's the deal. He's going to come after us with lies and with pain and other kinds of things, and we can say with confidence and assurance, God is good. God is good. And everything we, we sang this morning, that he works all things together for a good future, for his glory and for my good. The devil can't touch me unless God says it's going to benefit me. And there is nothing the devil can do about that. And so the praise of Christians, even in the midst of suffering, is a powerful fist in the hands of the devil and says, you have nothing on us. And I love the argument here is from weakness to power. If it's true that a child's and an infant's praise is enough to undo the strongholds of the devil, how much more the praise of those who have been battle-tested? And so the first reason I think that we see this is that, yes, the weakness of God is greater than the strength of the devil, and we even see that in children, but also that there is power in the truth of our worship. See, it's not just that children's praise is enough to destroy the devil. It's children's praise in the one true God. It doesn't matter who you are. It matters who you're worshiping. That's where the power is. And see, where there's power in praise because of who we bring, we're honoring when we praise. When we say, Lord, our Lord, your name is majestic, that's that's something that could shake the heavens for saying, well, I'm pretty great, and I'm going to praise myself. Look at my career. It's awesome. Oh, bank account, oh, bank account, how majestic you are. There's no power in that kind of praise. Your health, all those other things that this world teaches us, tells us, oh, look at those things. May those things be praised. Your celebrity is not going to change the course of eternity, it is not going to cause the devil to, to be frustrated. But you know what changes the course of eternity? You know what frustrates the work of the avenger, the foe? God. And when you praise him, things change. And so the power in worship is whom we're worshiping. I love that because I am so unworthy. There are times I'm just a stinker. And you guys know that. Typically when I'm driving, I'm getting better. God's working on me. <laughs> but there are times that I just, I am not the one. I, I look at the devil. He could come at me. He's the foe, right? He's the avenger. He's the word like, you're going to nitpick Aaron. He's going to go before God and say, well, Aaron, he violated this one little point in your law, right? He doesn't have to look at little points. He's like, very clearly. And God's like, yeah, but what he said about me is true. And he calls me Lord. And he is mine. And there's power in that. So I can praise God even in my darkest moments. And my God is still there because he is the Lord over all things in heaven and on earth. And even under the earth, praise to God is powerful because God is powerful. 
And I think the third reason that this is also true is that God's glory is undeniable. And that is something that the devil and that God's enemies on this earth just cannot get around, that even kids can see it. God is real and he is great. You look to these wonderful mountains, which are just, you know, I would say glorified dirt hills that God put up here. And that is enough to draw millions of people to come here and have spiritual experiences as they look in awe at just this that God created. We look at even at the design of, of our bodies. What a miracle you are. It's just a wonder you can even exist or how your cells work together, the DNA, all those things, or, or even our solar system, how finely tuned it is with the size of our moon and the distance of it and how things just work in the right way so we have the right kind of patterns in the ocean that allow us to have life at all. God is amazing. His evidence is obvious, and then you talk to a person who's walked with the Lord and you hear the difference he has made in their life the undeniable change from the inside out that they can't take credit for. I think there's a reason that the praise of God is a fortress and a stronghold as even God's enemies ultimately cannot deny the reality of God's goodness. They want to. They try to. The devil does everything he can to show us that he's supposed to be even better than God, but he fails at every turn, and even children can see the simplicity that God is good. God is good. And so may we have the faith like children, because that praise is powerful. And this is one of those passages, I says Messianic, that Jesus actually even kind of quotes from this in the New Testament. It happened at a time near the end of his ministry. Three years in ministry, he'd been doing all kinds of miraculous things, undeniable, right? He had been saving people, you know, from hunger and from, uh, he'd been raising them from sickness. He had cast out demons. He'd done all kinds of stuff. And not long before he did this, he even raised his friend Lazarus from the dead who had been in a cave, like in a tomb for four days. That's pretty dead and hasn't come out and everybody sees this. He goes down into the, to Jerusalem, it's the last week, and he, he goes there and he cleanses the temple, right? Because the, there was this religious, uh, uh, I don't know, they were ripping people off. And Jesus was having none of it, saying, if you want to participate in God's kingdom, then you're going to rip you off. And God, Jesus was not happy, so he goes and turns over the, the tables of the money changers and casts them all out. And the people that were in charge were a little embarrassed. And they did not like it. And yet, there were kids who saw what Jesus had done. And they were like, this guy is fantastic. And so in Matthew 21, we read, but when the chief priest, the teacher of the law, saw the wonderful things he did, notice it's wonderful. And the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, which means, save us, son of David. They were indignant. God had showed up at the temple, which they had waited for all this time, and they're mad. And then they go to Jesus. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. He's like, I got ears. And then he goes to them, but do you have eyes? Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? 
It's one of those times that he just points back to the Old Testament. He's like, even King David saw this. That God's goodness is declared even by the weak. Even by those who haven't been trained. It's just obvious who God is. And there is power and praise. See, God doesn't need always to come down and to just destroy his enemies with his power and might. Mercifully, he allows them to be decimated by the simple and true worship of those who simply love him. I think that's incredible. And guess what we've talked about this morning, very beginning, is that that same faithfulness exists even now because God is faithful from generation to generation. The power of praise still exists. So God's weakness is greater than the strength of any enemy of the Lord. There is power in the truth of God, and that is undeniable. So that's how the psalm begins. It's a pretty good start. Then he goes on to explain the, very, the breadth of this, that God is amazing. How amazing? Oh, his praise is enough to decimate his enemies, but also this, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Now again, some people want to nitpick this and be like, wait a second, he said he created the stars and things with his fingers, but Genesis said he spoke them to existence. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone, guys. This is just, <laughs> God made it. That's the point. And it's so tiny, the universe is so tiny that God could just craft it. And when we look at how amazing God is, how big he is, one thing that's there is we're filled with awe and praise, but the other side of it is when we also then compare ourselves to that and we feel tiny. Have you ever felt too small for God to care about you? It's not a question of faith that you think, well, God is not amazing God. He's not big. Uh, no, no, no. So because he's so big, why on earth would he care about me? How ridiculous would it be that the God who can do all of this, can form stars in his hands, who can do all of these things, that he is so powerful, even his praise destroys his enemies, that that God would care at all about any of us, much less me. I think that's one of the things that we oftentimes struggle with. Because we know we, that people, when people become powerful, they stop caring about those who are small. Right? Go ask our president if he cares at all about your average Tuesday. He doesn't. Got too many bigger things. He doesn't care about the politics and Estes. I don't think he cares one lick about the loop. <laughs> right? So if he doesn't care about those things, how about when I'm sad and I've had a rough day? I really need that parking space right now so I'm not late. <laughs> that God would be so big is, is easy for us, but to understand, to really think, man, he, he loves me, loves me. Oh, that's, that's a hard thing. And you know what? We're not the only ones that feel that. When we compare God's bigness to who we are, of course we feel small. And that's what he's wrestling with. That's what we're supposed to feel is that tension. And in verse 5, he goes on to them. He then answers it. And he says, you've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Now, again, there's debate out of 
We're supposed to uh, uh, translate this. The word angels is Elohim, which could be God. It's a name for God. Or it could be heavenly beings. doesn't matter. The point isn't, well, there's God and then there's angels and there's people. That's silly. That's not what he's saying here. Look what he says. Is this, you feel small, but you're not small. That the Lord of the universe created you something much greater than your current experience would ever be able to, to, to justify. Like right now, you're not who God ultimately created us to be. That's why when Jesus returns and he comes back, we'll be glorified, we'll be elevated. We're going to have an existence that is very, very different than what we currently experience. And that's an amazing thing. This is the revelation, by the way, guys, that will change you. That the best thing that you could think of becoming is tiny compared to what God is making you into. In fact, Scripture says you can't even conceive how amazing that you will be when you are glorified by God. Right? It's like our current experience right now. We are like tents and we're going to be mansions. And we live in Estes and we see those tents, even those nice ones with four rooms. They're not even as nice as the little shacks that people rent out, you know, for like $6,000 a week. We're tents. It's our whole experience. When I look at other people, I see a tent. That makes sense. They look small. I look small to me. But the God of the universe did not make me small, nor did he make you small. You uh, matter deeply. He's crafted you not because you deserved it, but because of who he is, high and exalted. Not higher than he is. But he's crowned you with glory and honor. I don't always feel like I'm crowned with glory and honor. You know, a couple weeks ago, I spent the last two weeks sick. I didn't feel very glorified or honored. I think blowing your nose all the time is not an honorable thing. Then we all glorified at the moment. I'm not done yet. God's not done with me yet. He's not done with you yet, but he will someday complete the good work he began and you will be glorified. And God doesn't see the seed, he sees the tree. He doesn't see you, he sees who you truly are, who he made you to be. You are princes and princesses of the kingdom of God. Think about that. Co-regents of the king of glory. That's what Jesus calls us. That blows my mind. In verse 6, he goes on to say, you, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Now, that's not talking about gravity. Right? He's like, well, there's the earth. They put under my feet. And well, what about the stars? No. He's put everything under our authority. He's bringing us all the way back to Genesis 1 at creation. God created all the things. He made men and women in his image. And he said, all of these things I've put under your authority, have dominion over them, and be prosperous and multiply. That's a pretty great thing. That right now, we don't experience that. Why? Well, Adam and Eve, they sinned. They took that, they lost the crown. Right? They lost that, their authority. And so Corinthians says, well, we don't see people having this kind of authority right now. That's true. Right? We rebelled against God, so we can't be his co-regents, right? But then Jesus came, the Messiah has come, and we have been forgiven for our treason against him. 
We've reassigned our loyalty to him. We are now his. We, that's why we die to ourselves. We're born again in him. You call him Lord and master, right? That's the whole thing. We're, we're then reinstated. We're born again into his kingdom, but we're now given authority again. So when the, Jesus comes back, we're going to have a lot of authority, not just on this earth, but also in the heavens. This blows my mind too. Uh, Psalm 7 8 says this, the flocks, the herds, the animals, the wild birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, all the swim along the path of the seas, like everything, everything in this world. God says, I've created you, crafted you to have authority over them. That's who you truly are. You lost it, right? That's why this is also messianic. But we're going to regain that. But also look what it says in Hebrews 1.14, talking about this very thing, same thing. It says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? Uh, Hebrews says, takes this whole concept and says, is this not just over the natural world which God created people to be his, his co-heirs of authority over, but even the heavenly beings? Now, I read in Scripture about angels, and they make me terrified because they are powerful and glorified and, and super smart and amazing, right? But by the design of nature, God said he created you to inherit salvation and you're actually going to be above even the angels. Do you feel small now? I mean, this, this is fascinating to me. 1 Corinthians actually even goes on there too. It says, do you not know that we will judge angels? And, and then so we saw how much more the things of this life. And at that point, Paul, is through the Holy Spirit, is really coming down in the church because they're taking each other to court over little issues. You dented my car in the parking lot. I'm going to take you to court. It's like, how stupid are you guys? You can't figure this out. Don't you know that in the kingdom of God, who you truly are, you're going to be judging angels, like really complex things. So figure it out now. You're more than you think you are. You're so much more than the enemy and the accuser has told you you are. We set our sights far too low. How many of us set rev resolutions to be like this? I want to lose five pounds. Like that's going to change the universe. Fine, be healthy. That's great. But that is so tiny compared to who you truly are. God's revelation for you is not to be one that just ekes by in this world, but who dominates the kingdom of darkness wherever you stand. That is you. And you are already princes and princesses of the kingdom of God if you've chosen Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The kingdom of God is already here. It's not fully established. We don't see all things under his feet. We know when Jesus comes back, that's one thing we look forward to. But even now, even now you are already the person that God is making you into. It's already in there. Scripture says it's like a seed that then grows into a mighty tree. You're already that. Let that revelation change who you choose to become, how you choose to live. See, we as culture, I think oftentimes, especially Christians, we live so small. We set our goals so tiny because there has been a lie. There's two of them the enemy has used to trap us. The first one is that you are a mistake. You are inconsequential. You are the product of monkeys or whatever. You just somehow accidentally evolved and your life doesn't have any meaning because who are you? Just a bunch of just, you're maybe a step above the animals, maybe at best. And so how do we live? Maybe a step above the animals at best. We set our, our desires, our plans, everything about just 
doing what the animals do, and that's survival of the fittest, just trying to make our best out of this world. And that's how we live, with small, tiny lives. The other lie is this. It goes on the other side. You are gods. Right? New Age, all of that kind of stuff. We're going to do all these different uh, uh, Eastern religion, tarot cards, all those kind of things to tap into some deep spiritual energy because I'm truly my own God. That's what Satanism is all about. That really my life should be about me. That I'm really this ultimately the one that, that is majestic in all of the earth. And what happens is, is that we make everyone try to worship us and it doesn't work. They're not going to revolve their lives around us. We just go to war with each other and destroy each other. And again, we live small lives. Because here's the thing. God made us pretty amazing, but he didn't make us gods. On purpose. I'm so grateful for that. And so what happens is when we think too much of ourselves, we end up actually living too little. Because our highest aim is us. And we are tiny compared to God. And so we need to live for him. And so, beginning the revelation, as you start this year, as you think about your life, begin with this, that God is amazing and he loves us. God is amazing. He is big and he is worthy of your entire life. Your, your, your highest aspirations. Like he is absolutely worthy. You can never give anything to God where he'd be like, oh, I'm not kind of worthy of that. No, he's your very best. And he will always be greater still. He will always amaze you. He will always be good. But here's the thing. He also loves you. That, that, that God is our majestic creator. And you are his majestic creation. And why? Why do we have this good news? Because he is amazing. That is how the psalm ends. After this whole thing, he goes right back to this. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God didn't do this because somehow we had earned it. God didn't do this because somehow the angels somehow talked him into it. God is just good, and that's why he made you so good. So we're not to become conceited, filled with all kinds of like, well, I'm going to be a little bit higher than the angels, and I'm going to be able to judge them, and look how me... Like, it's not, that's not the point. God is amazing. Even as, as high of a status he's given us, we're still tiny in comparison to who God is. He's still worthy. But don't let his bigness trick you into thinking you're small. Not for one second. And all that goes back to the fact that our God is so good. The fact that you exist and you have the status he's given, you have the love he's given, you have the grace and the mercy and the opportunity to follow, all of that points to his goodness. He's majestic everywhere. So, knowing this, having this revelation of truth, who God is and who we are, what are some re resolutions that we could make to live a greater life even this year? Well, the first one I think is this, is that we need to acknowledge God. That's the very first thing. If you want to have any resolution this year that's going to change you, that can transform you, that has an opportunity to transform your life in this world, well, start with this. Acknowledge God. When you walk outside in the morning, it's not just a bunch of rocks piled up. God is an artist, and he takes dirt and makes it beautiful. Right? When you see the people in your life, acknowledge that God is at work in their lives, that, that no one is here by accident. We have a sovereign and a good God who is putting all the pieces together for his glory and your goodness. Acknowledge him in the difficult points in your life as well as the blessings. 
that none of this happened just haphazardly. You have a majestic God who has authority, royal authority over all things, and he is at work in your life today. Acknowledge him. As we do that, uh, we recognize that there is no other God before him. Acknowledge he's first. And recognize his majesty is undeniable. And there's power in that. So maybe this year, this is what you choose to do. This is my resolution. I'm going to choose to acknowledge God, get into the habit of recognizing his greatness. As we do that, maybe the, we recognize Romans 1.20 can help you. It says, so the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people without excuse, everybody can see God's goodness, even you. So look for it. You'll see it. Acknowledge God. All right? Now, the second thing you want to do, here's another one if you want to take that a step further, not just to acknowledge God this year, but as a resolution that could change you, is to praise God. He's not just powerful, he's majestic, and he should be praised. That in our life, do we say thank you to God? Do we sit in awe of him? Do you take time out of your schedule and stop navel-gazing and thinking about yourself long enough that we actually think how amazing God is? And say, wow, God, you're amazing. I know this seems simple and maybe kind of crazy, but it will change you. Because the praise even of children and infants is a stronghold more than enough to defeat the power of all of God's enemies. And oftentimes we're just devastated by the enemies. Yes, we acknowledge God, but we forget to praise him. We forget to remind ourselves that, yes, he's absolutely good. And so the enemy then makes us discouraged and defeat. So maybe this year... One thing you can do, start every morning just with praise. At the end of every night, God, thank you for these things. God, you are good. Not my life is good. You are good. Praise him. And as you do that, maybe the next step, as we praise him, then we get to this powerful, the ultimate, the, the, the biggest thing. You can't get here if you don't acknowledge God. You can't get here if you're not praising him but then to truly worship him. Because Jesus said that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth, right? Worship is powerful. Worship is, is what we revolve around. Whatever our lives revolve around is what we're worshiping. And, and scripture tells us that there are ways that we are invited to worship God. First with our time. That's what he began with even the calendar. God came up with the idea of weeks. I think that's cool, right? Six days made the worst, seventh day he rested. He wasn't tired. He did that for us. We need to have a day of of honoring God, worshiping, centering, or even our time around him. And you're doing that right now, so good for you. Then there's also our, our talents, our abilities. That's what Becky will be teaching about the, the shape series. It's all about this, using the gifts that God has given us to build his kingdom first before we build our own. Your gifts, your abilities, your passions, your heart, all of those things came from God. The good works He's created advance for you to do it. He's perfectly crafted for you to do them. And so worshiping God requires us to serve him with who he made us to be. And that's a way that we worship him also. Our treasure, the stuff that we have. God is a God of all things. And so that's the whole idea of the tithe. Not that God needs your money. Church does, but God doesn't. You know, God, he's perfectly fine. But he wants us not to worship things, but to worship him because he is greater than those things. And so that's what the whole tithe is about. It's about bringing our first fruits to him, our very first things, saying, God, you first. 
As we worship God with our time, our talents, our treasure, our life comes into a rhythm around God. Now, you can do those things and not worship God, by the way. You can do those things and not acknowledge Him. You can do those things and not praise Him. And then they're, they're just legalistic things that you do. I'm going to bring you any closer to the Lord because you're not really truly centering your life on Him. But you can't truly worship God unless you're doing those things. Because as long as your schedule isn't revolving around God, your abilities aren't revolving around God, your stuff isn't revolving around God, there's something else that's revolving around. So maybe this year you say, I'm going to start by worshiping God. One great thing we can do for that, we can do this, it's our take five. To know that it takes a while to bring our life back into orbit around the Lord. It's not something that snap our fingers and have happen. And there's a challenge in there, five things to do, just to continually bring your life back into a greater force of worship, and maybe that's where you begin. As you're on the back of your seats, you can bring these home, remind yourself of them, and let's start worshiping God. That's a resolution that really will change you. That's a resolution that will bring you up to to a level that uh, I think it's a lot better than a diet, okay? Nothing wrong with diets. This is something much better. So, that's Psalm 8. God is amazing, and yet he still loves us because he is amazing. What good news we have. So, resolve this year. I encourage you to acknowledge him, to praise him, to worship him. So on your connection card, I have these are the next steps. These are ways that I want to just say, oh, Aaron, that's a really nice thing. I agree with you, and then leave and don't change. That's crazy. You just wasted your time sitting in a very cold room right? You want to make sure that you're putting this practice. So the first thing I'm going to encourage you to do, start this week, right now. You, you have it on your connection card. It's even on a perforated thing. You take it with you. Memorize Psalm 105. Remind yourself this amazing truth that God's love is good and His, His faithfulness endures from generation to generation, even today. That's a powerful revelation. It changes how we live. Also, meditate on Psalm 8. That means go back into it, read it this week, think about how it applies to you in your life. Something else you want to do is acknowledge God. This could be your, your resolution for this year. Say, I'm going to really focus on acknowledging God this year. That's what you're going to begin with. Let me know. I'll be praying for you for that. Next one, maybe you say, I'm going to take that next step. Not just acknowledging Him in my life, but also praising Him. Choosing to praise Him in the blessings, but also in the hard times. Praising Him for who He is, not just for what I have. Right? Having that as your, your focus this year. Or maybe, for you, it's, it's uh, I'm going to worship God this year. I'm really going to take my worship to that next level. I'm going to bring my life more in orbit around His greatness. So maybe it's with my time, or maybe it's my abilities. I'm going to say, take the take five things. It's going to be fantastic. Or maybe with your, your uh, things, you start tithing, giving. Wherever it is, you can say, I'm going to start worshiping God more consistently this year as I acknowledge Him and as I praise Him. Okay, I've given you all something to do, except for, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you've got to take that first step. None of this matters until Jesus is the center of your world. Until you've been born again, then you're none of these things. You're still an outsider. So be an insider. Jesus came so that you could be saved by his grace through simply faith in him as your Lord and Savior. If you need to take that first step, be born again, to be part of his kingdom, to have this opportunity, to have your, your treason against the Almighty forgiven and to be brought into his kingdom, you need to take that first step. And if that's you, of course, you can let me know on your connection card, but I encourage you, come talk with me after the message. I'd love to help answer your questions and help you take those first steps into the kingdom this year. What a great way to start the new year, be starting a new life. Okay, all of you have next steps to take. Write them down, put them on the connection card, and then uh, write your prayer requests on there. And the second we're going to take our offering, please drop those in the offering basket as it is passed. Start this year strong with a great resolution based upon awesome revelation from the Lord. Let's pray for you as you make those commitments. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for that, that uh, we can praise you, that you've given us these psalms of worship that remind us of the deeper truths of how good you are, that you are amazing, that 
And yet you love us because you're amazing. We want to give you our very best because of that, Father. So help us to now as we take these commitments. Uh, let us worship you in spirit and in truth. Let us honor you with how we, we apply this passage to our faith this week, God. And I pray that it would draw us more and more in the orbit of your glory. Father, take our tithes as well as our gifts and use them to build your kingdom for your glory, all because you are good. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.